This is the Stark Truth, hosted by Robert Stark. Brought to you by StarkTruthRadio.com. Robert Stark is an American journalist and political commentator. You can listen to his podcast at www.StarkTruthRadio.com. Stark. I'm joined here with Anama Cates. She is an actress, director, and host of the show uh, Incel. Anama, uh, it's uh, great talking to you. Great talking to you. So you host this show uh, Incel, and you're an actress and a film director. Can you just give us some information? Tell us about your personal journey. Sure. Um, so... I I guess, you know, once an actress, once a director, always. But um, I, I haven't done much of it, like, you know, in a while. I occasionally do voiceover and stuff like that. Um, but I did start out there. That is my background. Um, I've kind of – I studied computer science, so that was separate. But then I took, like, acting kind of um, – classes and school for a long time and then eventually that led to like film and editing and things like that um and I've been involved with music and stuff so I kind of started out that way in New York I was just doing creative things um you know when I first moved out there and acting was something that I guess took off before others did so I started doing plays and things like that, and then I eventually moved to Los Angeles after getting, like, a TV show out there, which is NCIS, which is not a show I watch. But... And what was your role on that show, NCIS? Um, it was, like, a guest lead role is what you'd call it. It was a two-episode arc where my character was um, turned out to be a, not a, a murderer, but was a murder suspect for a while that was in a, like, a punk band with a roommate and you know the plot was kind of convoluted I don't even really remember it um but that that was my character she was kind of like a a singer punk rock chick that was involved in a band with a couple of really bad guys and was the murder suspect for a while it was a Halloween episode and then the one after that I think it the first one was called web 2.0 I don't even know it wasn't long ago but I don't remember it that well and you were also in the film uh, Stepmom with uh, Julia Roberts and Susan Sarandon? Um, yeah, I was in that, but I wouldn't really say that was an acting role. I was uh, like a, just a kid when I did that, and I just went with a friend to be an extra, and they ended up giving me a couple of lines, so they upgraded my role. Um, but I don't think it made it into the, the film, the line, it just like you know, a no-line no appearance in that. And you directed your own film, so you have a horror film, uh, Sorceress, a documentary, uh, Dutchman Revisited, and then Ten Commandments of uh, Chloe. Can you talk about those? Yeah. Um, so 
Ten Commandments of Chloe came first out of those. I, I co-produced and co-wrote that with my friend Princeton Holt, who um, I knew from another film that I did. And we shot it in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, it was really cool. We kind of wrote everything on the fly and cast it there when we got to Nashville and ended up actually working with a really great actress that were local to that area. Um, and it was about like a singer-songwriter who was just moved to Nashville and was trying to make it as a singer. So it was a cool movie. It ended up being um, really pretty good. I'm, I was really happy with it and it got into some film festivals and stuff. Um, so that was a really cool project and it got me wanting to do more of the behind the camera stuff. Um, after that, I did Sorceress in Finland and St. Petersburg in Russia on an um, artist residency. That was really great because Finland is awesome and the crew and everything were really professional. It was a grant. Um, and then Dutchman is a documentary um, about this film from the 1960s that I've been working on with a, a friend of mine for a while now. Um, it was a pretty interesting movie. and. Yeah, it's the documentary is mostly talking to people who were involved with it at the time and reviewers and stuff like that. When it comes to film and media, do you have any genre or subject matter that interests you? Oh, I like, um, I mean, I really like every genre. Not Maybe not every, but most genres. Good. There are really good films within them. Um, so it's hard for me to narrow it down by by genre, but there are certainly really great films, television's been fantastic lately, podcasts are great, <laughs> and music, and plays, everything. I love it, love it all. Yeah, you also had some music videos. Uh, can you talk about those, and were they influenced by the indie craze of the early 2010s? Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good question. They were. Um, they were made by... Uh, some directors from that time, so that probably explains the influence, how that came across. Um, I had a, like a band and some records that I made while living in LA, and that was really awesome too. Music is is a great um, great thing to do, and musicians are really fun to work with. It's interesting to collaborate in that way. It's kind of a different part of your brain than writing films and scripts. Um, and the videos, yeah, like Princeton Holt, who I was just talking about doing Chloe with, directed a couple of the videos. And he was a definitely an indie, like, mumblecore director. So that probably came across. As far as your political views, can you talk about how your political views have evolved over time? Um, so I guess I wasn't very political for a while, but I was always interested in politics and in history. Um and following the news, journalism. Um, and then I would say, after moving to Los Angeles, becoming more involved in music and, and acting, my views probably went the way the herd went, if you know what I mean. Like, everybody around me had a, a particular um, political leaning, and so I was going with that. Um, it's obviously more liberal, more leftist. This is Hollywood you know, in the early 2010s. Um, and, you know, it, I never felt strongly about being to one side or the other. Um, but 
because I didn't feel strongly, I went sort of the way everybody around me went. Um, and then <laughs> I would say, I guess, <clears throat> shortly before the 2016 election, um, I began to question some things, but um, it was really leading up to the 2016 election and shortly after when I noticed how kind of hysterical people were getting about politics that I stepped back from it and that's when my views changed. That's pretty vague, but that's the, the story. A lot of this have to do with uh, censorship and the woke culture going too far? Yes, uh, definitely that. that. There's no question about that. But I'd say that beyond that even, um, my personal views, I just realized, don't lean so much to the left. You know, um, they're, they're mixed. On some things I'm left, on some things I'm right. But um, I feel um, that being in, in the arts and stuff and going with the crowd, most people are going to present the, the leftist side more, you know, and I, I don't know that I, I feel more that way on a lot of issues. Your podcast, uh, Incel, what in particular uh, brought your attention and interest to the subject matter of incels? Well, um, it started with, interestingly, kind of a happenstance conversation with somebody from Twitter who turned out to be an incel. It wasn't the first time I heard the term, but... Um, I'd, I'd heard it before, I'd been kind of interested in it, I heard some of the language that was being used around it and just found that interesting. And then having a conversation with someone who um, was an incel and kind of trying to find out more about it just drove me into this search for it. And when I tried to look things up about it, see if there was any literature about it, the kind of the journalism that existed, I just realized that there wasn't really much substantial about it, about the phenomenon, about the culture, about any of it, just a lot of um, kind of uh, scary pieces and language to kind of designed to suggest that this is a group of people that are going to be dangerous, violent. There's the media narrative, so basically what the public perception is, the media portrayals, uh, demonization, do you have any thoughts on the media narratives from when you first looked into that and from your perspective now? So when I first looked into it, um, I'd say before I looked into it, when I first came across it and didn't really look into it, I, uh, it just seemed like an interesting cultural thing even at the time, though it was presented as something scary. And I didn't pay a ton of attention to it, but it kind of, it kind of stuck with me as something that was worth looking into. And then when I first really started researching it, I took an approach of like, even before I knew what I was going to find out, of like, this is a question, right? Like, is this actually something that is going to be indicative of future violence? Is this subculture going to, is it radicalizing people? Is it going to lead to violence? So that was initially just a question I had where it wasn't a yes or no question. And I was like, I'm going to do a deep dive into this and see whether we can answer this question. I didn't expect there to be an immediate, such, as obvious an answer as I feel now. 
Now I feel very strongly about the answer to that question. I didn't when I started it. I was kind of like, who knows? I just knew what it was being compared to. But part of me also felt that um, these things are never that simple. They're never that black and white. And painting people that have a certain lifestyle as killers is probably not accurate. So I had that bit of skepticism about media going in. But it was still an open question. Now, after going in and taking the deep dive, I feel very strongly that that answer to that question is no, and that the media narrative is wrong, and that it's dangerous, and if anything, it's going to harm people in various ways. I think the media narrative is a huge problem. And that's the culture on, it's in the mainstream media, but it's also in, on social media as well, from all sides, is people want to identify a group and just put them in a box and not really think of them as human, just put them in a box and create a clear narrative? Yes. It's an easy narrative. It sells. Um, it's easy for people to uh, have a designated enemy and identify someone, and it's easy for people to cast dispersions on a group that's already lonely and isolated. The academia, unfortunately, is also kind of singing along to this, which is, you know, disappointing. Um, that might be starting to change a little bit, but so far they are. There are, there are several academic studies about incels, just a handful really, and all of them are the same. You know, they all do the same thing. They don't speak to anybody in the community. They have no primary source data. They just scrape the forums and make word clouds and um, say that, okay, because there's this much instances of this word and this word and that word, and it's words that they don't even know what they mean in a context they don't even understand. But that's the study that they do, and they say, okay, this is suggestive that these people are going to be violent, and they're even more violent than this group, and they're even more toxic than this, and it doesn't even mean anything, you know? Uh, what are some of the biggest uh, misconceptions that the media has, of course, but that the public has in general, besides the high risk of violence that you've discovered from interacting with them and from just browsing on their forums? Um, so... One of the biggest misconceptions, I'd say, is this association with the alt-right. Um, I think even that the way that the alt-right is demonized by the media is a mistake, um, and I don't agree with it. But putting that aside, the association between incels and that subculture is not accurate. I did see this. Uh, some There's some Twitter account that claims to be some kind of incel political party, and they asked them who their choice for president would be, and it was actually Bernie Sanders. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's no there's no overarching politics to incels. That's why the whole idea that they're like, you know, this domestic terrorist group is crazy, because there is no goal. You know, a lot of the stuff that's stated as a goal, like incel uprising and mandated government girlfriends, those things are pretty much said in jest. Either As memes. Joking. Yeah. Or they're just people kind of spitballing ideas, but they're not trying to organize and make this happen. That's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, the politics are all over the place. A lot of them are not political. There's an idea that all incels are, are white males, young white males living in their mother's basement. Um, that's not true. Half of the incel.co forum is of other races. 
Um, yeah, they have different uh, terminology for each race, so it's it's pretty uh, diverse, and there's no like racial agenda. But people yeah. on there, they do talk about race in either a very politically incorrect or irreverent way. Correct. But not, but it's not really like an agenda of what the media would say. So, like they might say, so Indian guys would be called curry cells. Curry cells, yeah. Like rice cells, bean cells, whites or myo cells. Exactly. But it's it's said playfully, and there isn't any racial agenda. It's not it's not racist a racist board. They're not using those terms being racist. They're making observations about society, who they think a lot of people in society are racist. Sometimes inherently, sometimes implicitly biased. But that's what they're making the comments about. They're observing society and they're doing it in a politically incorrect way. I mean, that's one of the main, I'd say, characters of that subculture is that it's politically incorrect and irreverent, but it's not said with hate at all. I, I don't think that's right. There is obviously misogyny, but there's not they're not a racist group. Within the group, you get all kinds of people, but that's not one of the tenets of the black pill. Is there an official criteria of what classifies someone as an incel? No, not really. It, it was... Um, Someone who is, you know, celibate who's not having sexual relationship despite wanting to for six months or more. That was initially the criterion that they had posted on there, but it was changed not long ago to just, you know, whoever feels like incel can be an incel. But um, at the same time, within the group, there's a lot of discussion about, oh, he's a Volcel, you know. Um, he's a mental cell, that doesn't count. So there's a lot of that talk within the group, but there's not an official list of criteria. And obviously, uh, people who fit those uh, classifications, that's not entirely in the same box. There's going to be overlap on a Venn diagram, but they're not in the same box as people who identify with the label and are active on the forums. Right, right, exactly. There are people that are not members of the community that don't identify as the label at all, but that would fit those criteria. Absolutely. Probably lots, lots and lots of those people. Can you talk about your interactions with incels and what has that been like and interviews on the show? And also what has your, what is their reaction to you been? Has it been positive or has there been a degree of a skepticism? Um, well, there was, um, quite a bit of skepticism at first, I I think understandably, um, when the media has been the way that it has with them, and each piece has come out a hit piece time and time again, I'd understand why there'd be skepticism. Um, People in general treat the community that way. And somebody coming in and saying, oh, I want to make a show about this topic. Um, This is my background. You know, understandably, there'd be some skepticism. There still is. There's still plenty that don't like me. But um, overall, I think the interactions have been great. I mean, for me, from really early on, they've been really touching and really surprising. And, um, you know, if people listen to my show, you can hear it. I I guess I've had some listeners that have really objected to some of the um, guests, subjects that I've had on. But most people that hear it don't. They're, I mean, very observant, thoughtful people, oftentimes really funny, really smart, really good writers, which is one of the things that drew me in in the first place, um, that the writing was really uh, compelling on the forums. 
and interesting. And the interactions have been, I think they've been great. I think a lot of the interviews have been really moving and they've really um, affected the way that I see things, certainly, and hopefully to, that other people do. And yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of the incels that I talk to, you know, that I've spoken to more probably feel that it was positive. I mean, they're still reaching out and willing to talk to me, so whatever that says. Can you talk about the guests that you have on the podcast? You do have some incels. You recently had a Christian pastor on the show on the God Pill. You've mm -hmm. interviewed a number of different uh, psychologists. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I've had uh, two forensic psychologists um, and two neuroscientists and a psychiatrist on the show um, that have spoken about various aspects of Sometimes they speak directly about incels, the forensic psychologists did, for example, um, and sometimes they speak more generally about groups that are considered extremists or just loneliness or even what loneliness plays out like in modern society because things are changing for people. And I'd say for the most part they've been honest and sympathetic. My a recent guest that I had, Mike Nikinchuk, who's a neuroscientist and definitely a genius, um, talked about, you know, modern culture, and he talked about how academics and people in general misunderstand groups like incels, um, and I think he he dropped a lot of black pills, so to speak. Um, and then their hardest boss, we'll call him, um, the reform pastor that I had on most recently, was great. I mean, that was a really, really interesting and deep conversation, too, that I had with him and his wife. Um, and they work with, you know, youth. And so he talked about some of the religious context that might explain what's going on as he sees it, but also what he just sees in, in young people in general. And I thought it was really beautiful. Um, I've also had some researchers, you know, uh, researchers into human behavior and counterterrorism and things like that, that the people that I have on the show are, I consider the good guys. So, you know, these are people that I think get it and understand things the way they are. There's not that many of them, but they're really great. I mean, Ken Reedy is one of them. Jesse Morton is one of them. Um, my, yeah, Mike and the... Uh, certainly Sumaya Sheikh was really great. Um, and then the insults that I've had on, I can kind of uh, list them if you want. I've had uh, Frothy. Frothy Solutions was the first one that I talked to. Um, he is in his 40s, and he I saw an, like an introduc introduction post. There was an introduction thread on insults.co, and his was really cool, and it, it spoke about wanting to be an advocate and talk to media. So I reached out to him first, and he wrote me like a, 6,000 word essay that was just beautiful. It took me hours to read. Um, so he was like the first one. And then I spoke to Frail Pale Stale Mail early on and still speak to him regularly. He's been on the show a few times. Um, Sergeant, Sergeant, Sarge, Sergeant Incel, who's brilliant, really brilliant, um, and who's the admin of incels.co. Master, who is the head moderator and does the tech 
and he's great. He also runs the Twitter account. Um, he's he's really funny and really sharp. I've had him on a few times. Um, then I had Kay, who was only on once. I think he's Dutch, and he talked about um, autism spectrum disorder and C maxing going to Southeast Asia. His was really touching interview too. Um, I had uh, Reggie, who's English and um, spoke to me about kind of leaving .co because he's more like an independent thinker. And, and .co is the primary incel forum. Yes, incels.co is the main forum. Um, it was started in November of 2017, and that's run by Sarge and Master. It used to be called incels.me, and then it was changed to incels.is, and now well, it's Some of the sites were uh, deplatformed. Especially yes. after some of the major massacres, like I remember when the whole Alec Manassian incident happened, and a lot of the major sites were deplatformed. Yeah, exactly. That's when theirs was. It was pulled from the host, and you know, Sarge told me about it. They were given like twenty-four hour notice, and that was it. Um, so it was removed. Then, you know, you're right. Every time one of those incidents happen, the tech companies feel like they have to do something even if it's something really futile and pointless. Like when I covered the Alec Manassian um, transcripts, when those got released in October, um, I did an episode about that. And like just as I did it, Brain Cells, which was one of the last big incel forums, was the subreddit was banned like that day. Nothing happened. It was just they thought maybe somebody would mention it. or It was really strange. Um, and, you know, r slash incels was banned. That's what led uh, Sarge to make the site. I think it was within, like, an hour he had the site up and running. <laughs> uh, it has 10,000 active members. And, yeah, it's really interesting. I, a lot of people find it offensive, but I don't. Um, I think if you kind of get, get to know the, the humor and the language, you can get past that. Did you initially have some reaction of being shocked or morally offended, or did you go go in there initially with just an academic standpoint that you're just going to learn from this and not have any uh, moral aversions to being offended? Um, I think by the time I was reading .co rather than brain cells, it was pretty much like just curiosity at that point, and also wanting to like get the language the funniness like disarmed me you know um the humor of it kind of like took my my guard off so that i wasn't really getting offended because when something makes you laugh you kind of relax i guess um i think there were things that if i read them on their own i probably maybe not offended but but found them shocking you know um especially at first from brain cells, for instance, in my first episode, I have this part where somebody reads the brain cells, like just a, a thread on there, and I think I found it shocking. Um, I don't know when I read when I read it, even pretty early on, I, I get into kind of a place where I'm not taking the things I read personally, but I think they did affect me in a, in a way where I wasn't offended, but I was kind of like, you know, just a little bit off kilter at first. It was different. <laughs> Do you see these issues as part of a greater social trend? Just those sort of general uh, social 
atomization of society. There's been articles in a lot of mainstream publications about this uh, sex recession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's the whole uh, hikikomori trend in Japan, yep. which we're seeing in this country as well. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I talked about this recently with uh, Pinky for his show. Hikikomori um, is definitely the proto-incels. That was happening in the 90s and um, and continues to happen. There's estimated to be like 1.3 million of them at some point. That's a government number. It's probably a very vastly higher than that. Um, but in Japan, you know, this is hikikimori means like turning inward, and this is a, a subculture they have of just recluses who don't participate in society, are generally neat, you know, not in employment or educational training, um, and don't have romantic or sexual relationships. So that was happening in Japan for a while. It's definitely happening here now. And I think if you add some of the variables that we have in the West of looser family bonds, you know, a mixed society, people from different backgrounds and different races, and you you mix that together, um, and then the the way that the gender roles are less defined and men and women are kind of at odds with each other here in the West, I think makes it a much more um, it, it makes it like a, a hotter climate for that as in things are even escalated more than they are in Japan and things are even more magnified. I think it's absolutely part of a larger societal trend. I mean, people are not having sex, they're not getting into relationships, they're not engaging in person, um, they're more isolated. Uh, social media is making people crazy. <laughs> uh, it's making very young people um, spend time in this place where every interaction between people is some very primal, it's like acting out a very primal human desires of either violence or, or sexuality, you know. Um, it gets reduced to that, and I think really young people doing that, you have these young girls that are complimented for being sexualized or being provocative or whatever at, at a very young age, and just more and more and more photos. That's not good for them. <laughs> you have uh, young men who are seeing all of that and staying in the house and not being in contact with each other and go going to places where people are really very mean and cruel to people like them. Um, and yeah, I don't think that these are healthy trends. Sometimes when I say that, I feel like people were probably saying this when the television was invented or even the novel, and it's fine and we'll adapt and we'll move past it. But I feel like technology is just um, developing and evolving at a much faster pace now. All these different trends that are converging, technology, uh, just like an urban layout, like car-oriented way yeah. of life, uh, gender relations, uh, demographic trends, and they're just all converging. And for hyper-individualism of society, yeah. uh, declining mental health, uh, suicide rates are increasing as well. There's this uh, psychologist, uh, Eric Erickson. Mm -hmm. He has this concept of like uh, the different psychosocial stages at yes. life when you're expected to reach yep. material, both the material and psychological needs by a certain age. And if you sort of fail those uh, stages, it's impossible, almost impossible to move up, and you become yeah, permanently stuck, you get stuck. and you yeah. become psycho psychologically scarred as well. That explains a lot of this. It does, and if you look at those 
um, those the psychosocial stages of development, uh, the psychosexual stages of development, rather, as well as the psychosocial structures that we have now, many people are not meeting those um, goals at all. We have a uh, first generation being the millennials that made less than their parents in the United States for a long time. The economy has been depressed, and a lot of people, I think, feel like they have all the options in the world in front of them, and on social media they see all of the the riches and the excesses and the successes of people around them, you know, in their face all the time, and they're stuck. And then you have people like uh, Jordan Peterson, they talk a lot about uh, self-improvement. Uh, mm-hmm. From your perspective and also from the more incel perspective, do you see a lot of limitations on that, that you can basically like pull yourself up in your bootstraps? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, vastly oversimplifying the situation. I still think it's good advice because I think that where I actually like Jordan Peterson a lot, and I think that um, where people maybe don't take him right, and maybe he's wrong in, in many ways on this, but I think for him as a psychologist, if he's if you're a one-on-one psychologist and you have um, a client or a patient, it's always good advice to say, well, you can do this, you can pull yourself up. Because what are you going to say? You're, you're stuck. You know, don't do anything. It's never going to get better. No, a person has some some degree of agency and some degree of optimism and free will. And if they utilize that, then that is better. But to ignore all of the circumstances converging on someone or that they were born into and say that everyone should be able to pull themselves up out of anything is crazy, if that's taken literally. Uh, people that tell every incel, you know, you should just work harder, you should just pull yourselves up. Like, you have no idea what they're going through, you know, to say that. Um, I think it, it is always good advice in a sense, but for some people, it's, it's really not enough. And it's really unfair to think that that's enough. And their attitude in a lot of cases, they'll say that if they they work hard, play by the rules, that they're just going to be like a wage cuck. And even if they ascend, it's still not going to work out. So a lot of them will say, like, I, I have nothing I have nothing to strive for, no, no possible reward, so I'm just going to drop out. Well, I mean, sometimes I think those terms like wage cuck and beta bucks and stuff are... You know, I, I get them. I get where they come from. There's truths to them. Um, but there are sometimes really young incels that I talk to that talk about that and, and, you know, have good jobs and stuff and even have, like, some girls, like, seemingly interested in them and talk about that being a wage cuck. Oh, what's the point? Why should I bother to just be a wage cuck? She'll just use me for my money. When it's like, no, you really that's this doesn't apply very well to your situation you know and for somebody to go into new experiences as a very young person already thinking that isn't good um it's i think it's lacking a lot of the context um of what human relationships are actually about and the fact that you know um just because there are certain customs and cultures doesn't mean that that's all somebody wants you for, etc. But with certain cases and, and just with people in general, I would say that the, those grievances are not unwarranted. You know, it, to act like that they don't make any sense at all and they come from nowhere is not right. They do come from somewhere. And when somebody feels rejected, 
repeatedly rejected and has been and actually has that experience, it is understandable for them to feel like they want to drop out. I don't think that's ever an answer because if you drop out, then so what? Things will still be miserable, you know? And I, I think that people would do best to look inside themselves and, and find a way to not be miserable and find some meaning in something. Religion is an example of something that can work for people. Um, you know, everybody's different, sometimes just patience, but um, but it doesn't come from nothing. But, you know, people feel um, used and overlooked, and that that is something that is happening for real in society. It's not all imagined, you know. Um, there are people that are kind of left out. There is like a grievance culture in politics, but incels don't really fit into that narrative. No, no, From they the don't. From the perspective, at least. Yeah, um, they really don't. They're they're not all uh, feeling the same way, or looking for the same solutions, or blaming the same things. A lot of what what people overlook too is they think that they blame women for everything where they don't like literally blame women they kind of blame society they blame the structures that are and they're not entirely wrong to you know the society is locust it is shallow it is narcissistic it's materialistic it's getting more that way it seems oh for sure and there's also a concept called uh, fem cells how common do you think they actually are because on one hand there is there is a site, a Reddit for fem cells, but when you yeah, when they're mentioned, cells. yeah, true fem cells, but on the incel forums, they'll say they're pretty dismissive of the concept. Yeah, um, yeah, I, they are, and I haven't had any fem cells on the show, which people ask me why I haven't. Um, I, honestly, I I don't know. I have a fair amount of material to cover, and and frankly, that there were a couple that I tried talking to and. It just, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, there, there was one in particular that I was planning to talk to on the show. Um, I found out a little bit more about her, and I felt the way the incels feel when I did. Um, I felt like, oh, that's totally voluntary. Um, you know, I thought she looked very attractive, and I thought her, the reasons that she gave that she was considering herself a femcel seemed very much in her head. But that was one particular person. I'm not saying that about the whole um, group. I don't know enough about the group. I know that um, incels believe that uh, girls can't be incel because a woman can always find someone to have sex with her. While I, I get that, and I think that there is certainly truth to that. It is a lot easier for women. The, the incels give the reason that women are hypergamous or to say you know, politely more discerning, and I think that that is probably true, and I don't think that's a bad thing, I don't think that's anything for people to get upset about, you know, I think that women are uh, naturally a little bit more discerning about that, probably for all kinds of biological reasons, and so it's a lot less common, um, but there are, there are women, I, I don't believe that it's an impossibility, I just don't think that it would be as great of, the numbers wouldn't be as large, you know. And they also have this uh, Pareto distribution with yes. those uh, charts with the happy faces to the sad faces on both sides and the lines going across. Have you seen those? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think that the Pareto distribution is a really 
good point to bring up because I think that um, people ask me if this is a new thing or if it was the, always like this. And I think that it was definitely always, there have always been people sort of at the bottom of the totem pole that are left out of society. But as long as that's Pareto efficient, you know, as long as you have the bulk of the middle in this one place, a couple standard deviations away, you get the tails, then you're fine. But I think that the sexual economy is probably not Pareto efficient. And that's why it feels very unstable right now. All these social trends in general, income inequality and social inequality of social capital, it's at its worst point in modern American history. Yep, exactly. And and the the sexual economy is probably, you know, if you've found an accurate way to chart that in comparison to the, uh, you know, financial economy, I think it would probably look pretty similar right now. There's this uh, trend of incel becoming a brand kind of like a Andy Warhol. And mm-hmm. uh, I have a book out. It came out about – well, I'm actually working on a second book that takes place in the same parallel universe. But the first book, Journey to Vapor Island, what happens sure. in the second half of the book is there is this uh, this mass killer who's – I don't use the term explicitly, but he was basically an incel. And when he gets released from prison, his entire manifesto is uh, turned into a uh, theme park. And there's a sleazy <laughs> Weinsteinish uh, director – who's making a film and he becomes upset that his manifesto is too commercialized. Huh. That's great. Well, that seems pretty close to reality. Uh, not too far. Um, I feel like kind of that's what happened with Elliot Roger, you know. Uh, to make this uh, subculture what it is, and it started with media, but um, I think that sometimes I feel like if it became... A, a brand, a style, you know, an, an identity that anyone could participate in and be cool, then I think that would probably help a lot and to the point of maybe even neutralizing this problem. I, I feel like it would certainly with the violence. I feel like the the people that go on to become violent and do these things, in some cases, if they had like some kind of attention or notice to them, they, they probably wouldn't. Yeah, I think there. the tactics of the media. The news media and then also like the stuff that happened like that Law & Order episode, stuff like that just makes the situation worse. It probably increases the risk that an individual could snap and become violent. I think it 100% does. I think we have data about that. I think that uh, these killings that happened were mostly copycats and there is data on copycats and what that does and if you really study an incident like that and look at what happened with, you know, the perpetrator, there's a way to to say if it's copycat or not. And if it is, then it has nothing to do with ideology. Uh, what is your general uh, long-term uh, plan for your podcast at Incel? Um, I don't know. It's already, it's already gone a lot uh, longer than I intended it to. I think there was the New York Times review of it that came out like right up after the second episode, um, they asked me to tell them how long it would be, and I just said 10 episodes at the time, knowing full well that I didn't know, but it's on like 25 right now. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing another podcast that's starting actually next week uh, that's called Escape Hate and that puts people from different political sides usually together to talk. Um, 
So I'll be doing that, but that'll only be every couple of weeks. And I'm going to be continuing with Incel. I still have a lot of interviews already recorded, recordings and, and episodes planned out that I haven't done yet. But um, I don't know. I'm actually probably going to um, to team up with a couple people and do some actual research that's fair and, you know, not just a forum scraping. Um, I'd like to think that the podcast will end when there's some kind of a happy ending to the situation, but that's probably not realistic. And with the Escape uh, Hate podcast, it's interesting because there really hasn't been anything successful like that because they will have these media shows. These They'll have a TV show or, or article where they'll interview someone from a hate group, but it's mm-hmm. always through the framework that it's sort of denouncing them as a morally bad person, kind of like in the past with religion, how if someone was a sinner, they had to go for this process of repentance instead mm-hmm. of actually just having an open-ended discussion about psychology uh, what are their, like, where are they coming from? How did they get to this point? Just analyzing it in a less morally biased uh, standpoint. Righteous and biased yeah. way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, to the point where the first couple of guests I had were so um, used to that being the point and that being the format that they came in kind of like heated, like ready to go at each other. And I had to tell them, like, this is really not what we're doing, you know. Um, People are just used to constant confrontation now. I I get that it's more entertaining, and like you said, it it feeds the personal prejudices and biases of of both the people participating and the people listening, to where if you're on this side or that side, hearing the person on the other side being kind of beaten down might feel good for people, and so they tune in and, and watch it. Um, or listen to it. That's not what we're going to be doing with this podcast. Um, not at all. We've already recorded a few, and you know they. It's it's harmonious. That's the point. Um, and so I don't know. Maybe people will tune out and not find it entertaining enough because it's not combative. But we'll see. And for the audience who's interested in getting in touch with you, where can they get in touch with you, and what is the site to listen to the podcast, Incel? Um, So, Incel is pretty easy to find uh, in any podcast directory. Use its Apple or Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever they are. Um, All those other ones, too, like Pocket Casts and stuff. Just type in Incel, and it should be the only thing that comes up with that title. Um... The network is called Crawlspace Media, so that might help, Crawlspace. Um, and whoever wants to reach out to me, um, I have uh, DMs open on Twitter um, under my name, Nama Cates. Uh, also, um, the podcast, it's uh, the Incel Project on Twitter, at Incel Project. Um, and I have my email on there, too, or I think on the show notes. But if anyone remembers it... Uh, the incel project at gmail.com is a good email address for that. Uh, Nama Cates, it has been an excellent show. Uh, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. <laughs>